Do you think the food you eat impacts the way you experience stress? Absolutely. I think food impacts stress on all levels when you sit back and you really think about it. There's no question actually in my mind that the food that I eat has a direct correlation between how I feel and how I'm able to deal with stress on a day-to-day -day basis. It manifests itself for me personally in the forms of migraines and fatigue. The chemical makeup of your food, all the way down to the fertilizers they use, the soil and location of where it comes from, the growing supplements, the type of water and whether that water is contaminated, uh, the type of animals that live around there and whether the animals are defecating on your food or what are those animals being fed, the hands of the workers that pass them and how are the products being treated as they go through their preserve process to get to you. All of these things add multiple layers of chemicals that are essentially digested after you purchase them. We're not aware of those things because we're just used to eating things like that. You know, it's just the norm. We're always on the go. We never really have time to really sit down and really enjoy a meal or something that is gonna make us feel good. It's not about not having the knowledge. Everybody doesn't feel like food is the cause of certain diseases. I think we're so conditioned to believe what we want that it makes the people that actually go out here and read these books and you know the knowledge and you actually get an understanding, it makes you a conspiracy theorist. Yo, yo, Jamil. Hey, Keith. How's it going? Hey, I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm just really um, digesting these clips we just listened to. It's just crazy how everybody feels the same about food. It's like we're in a new phase right now about how we're listening to our bodies. I think there was a lot of different points of view, too, right? Because there were a lot of conversations since the last episode about stress and trauma and identifying it in a new way. And so I was really interested about what people thought related to food and how that actually embodies stress as well. Yeah, it's not something we uh, we really think about, right? You know, we're like, okay, I'm hungry, eat food, go. But right. it's like, what is that doing to me while I'm going? Why right. do I want to go to sleep right now? Why do I feel super energized or have a headache? Why do I get that crash at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you know? And it's the food we eat, and it's the speed in which we move. It really doesn't give us a lot of time. And there's reasons for that. Tell me about them. So there's this thing called colonization, mm -hmm. and it's real. It is. And we're still in experiencing the impacts of it. Um, and so what I want to explore today is how to decolonize your diet. And what that really means is to choose freedom, to decide to give your body what it deserves by challenging the paradigms and the relationships we presently have with food. Recognizing the paradigm and the relationship that most people currently have is built on a system designed to exploit and not to give you health and nutrition, but there's a history behind that, and there's a story to that, like with everything else, but we still have a choice. And Yeah, so I think we can explore how we've been impacted by our food and how that food continues to be and, and embody itself in the form of trauma and stress. Absolutely. In our own experiences and stories growing up with the food in our home, maybe how we're learning to recreate that. Um, and just again, that relationship. You're rocking with the griot. What's a griot? It's a storyteller, a poet, a 
musician, or a music lover, and the culture kid, celebrating life, love, and self, with ordinary people, telling extraordinary stories. Welcome to the show, we're your hosts, Jamil B, and Keith Marceau, and we are The Griots. This is a podcast about purpose-driven parents raising their kids, still figuring out how to raise themselves. We share our stories, lessons, and a host of amazing guests with resources that can help you figure this thing out, too. So you mentioned relationships with food, and I really feel like our relationship with food begins when we're young, when Mm. we're growing up. And it really depends on our household, the schools we attended, what we had access to. So for me, growing up in New Orleans, we had a steady flow of native cuisines in the house, Mm. seafood, like catfish, shrimp etouffee, Mm. meals with beans, like red beans and rice. Oh, so good. Jambalaya and lots of dough, you know, beignets, bread pudding, cobblers, things like that. Oh, and king cake, you know, during Mardi Gras. Right, right. It's coming up. It's coming up. It's coming (laughs) up. Um, But it was interesting being introduced to a traditional Southern um, soul food diet. And honestly, for me, it never really caught on. Um, Nah, nah. Uh, Well, some would say I never really earned my black card because of that. Uh, Mm. But coming in late in the game to like collard greens, chicken feet, chitlins, uh, I could really feel the impact on my body. And in some cases, I could see it, you know. It's interesting how, as social beings, we learn very quickly the consequences of not conforming to what is socially acceptable, right? And when you think about the norm of our diet and what is socially acceptable, that standard American diet, what is that? It's highly processed meat products, Mm -hmm. dairy products, tons of excessively high sugar content, You know, it really wasn't until recently, maybe within the last 10 years or so, that plant-based and organic options have really been made more available, you know, when you go out to restaurants and things like that. And why is that, though? You know, I mentioned earlier colonization had a big impact, but capitalism is huge. And I really feel like these dual forces have a huge impact in shaping the selection and the availability of the food we have access to, both when we were growing up and now. Exactly. Right. And so we talk about growing up. Mm. Uh, Think about school. Right. Schools are a factor. Your socioeconomic status is a major factor in what schools you go to. And uh, while you're attending that school, the funding and administration commitments are big factors in what kind of food comes out and is being curated for the students. Right. You have your standard stuff that happens in most districts, most school districts. But then. You find that some schools, they take it up a notch with the nutrition and, most importantly, the nutrition education for the students. And I think that's really important to put uh, into our children's lives at an early age because when I think back to, you know, uh, school lunches, free and reduced lunch, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You, you think about the options available, and half of the time you don't even know what you, what's on your plate. It's fried. Right. Uh, it came with ketchup and mayonnaise or something, and... I think it's edible, you know what I mean? So, Well, does it look good, right? Like, how does it appear? And that's where the marketing comes into place on what our tastes are predisposed to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like um, the individuals or the companies that are shaping what is, quote, unquote, acceptable food and nutrition and the proportions of things. Of course, as Americans, we are predisposed 
predisposed to having larger meal sizes, larger portions, because it looks good. It feels good, right? Because how do we eat? We eat on the go. We eat conveniently, cheaply, and emotionally. Like these are all of the things that are on um, our triggers for wanting food. Like, does it look good? Do I have memories with it? Um, Because when you said free and reduced lunch, I was like, man, I do remember those fish sticks. <laughs> like I wouldn't eat they a fish stick good, now. Though. They were delicious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think about as a mom, the convenience of paying for hot lunch, you know, for Raina, but then recently really committing to sending her with lunch and realizing that she will actually eat a spring roll when I make it from mm-hmm. scratch or, you know, she'll open up her palate when I challenge her with new things. Um, but that convenience is a, is a big I think prohibitor from us exploring different options and really um, challenging our palate too. I think most children are, you know, they're ready and Mm. we don't, we might not think they're ready. Okay. We talk about, it's really weird, right? The relationships that media portrays that kids have with vegetables, but my daughter loves vegetables. You know, she's always loved broccoli. She loves spinach. She loves cooked spinach, which I hate. Wow. Um, She likes her eggs. Uh, you know, but things made from home and from scratch. And she's really embracing the healthier lifestyle and is now calling me out on it. And I, and I love it. You know, it's really cool. It's like, okay, well I was heading this direction because I thought that's what you wanted, but obviously you don't. So let's back up and, uh, and and figure out what we're going to have. But it's, uh, it kind of comes down to the core two of access, right? You kind of mentioned that a second ago. Yeah. I think access is everything, right? Not everyone has a Publix, Trader Joe's, right. Whole Foods down the street. Um, and some neighborhoods do. And there's a noticeable difference in the neighborhoods that don't have them. Absolutely. Where the save-a-lots are, you know. And when even when you go in those save-a-lots, uh, I remember living near one when I was in college. And I was like, man, look at this. Uh, everything's cheap. I love it. Why would I ever go to Publix? And I remember one night I was making... Uh, one of those Tostinos pizzas. I know everybody. <laughs> there's people out there. I know what I'm talking about. I know Tostinos. Can't you get those at the marathon? Man, those things are like a dollar, and it's probably cardboard <laughs> with some things they call meat on it. I don't know, but yeah, you used to go yeah, there that's and get not them, meat. and they were two for one. Okay, so I'm, why would I go to Publix and get the same thing? But then you look at the expiration days, and they've been written over or labeled over. You know. um, I was at the uh, uh, food bank, right? So you do the volunteer work and you're packaging food up. And I just learned so much about how expiration dates can change and how Mm. they get relabeled and pushed back uh, on certain products to be redistributed either to shelters or to places like Save-A-Lot. Wow. And it's just interesting. It's like that access. It's like... Unless you have that education, why would you, why are you going to change what's been put, what you've been brought up on to go to go the cheap route or to go what's close to you um, mm-hmm. and not explore into a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or Sprouts type of situation? No, you make some great points. And speaking of education, as a consumer, it can be very challenging to decipher between all of the mixed messages, the quote unquote best diets, the how to shops, the where to shops, and honestly, it can be almost overwhelming for a lot of people who are trying to decide, okay, I want to eat quote unquote healthy, but what does that even mean? You know, and to your point, access does matter. And, um, the idea of value and cheap food versus quality food, you know, we work very hard 
um, you know, all of our tribe and our listeners, we we already talked about BTS, how, you know, we're always on the go, we're working. And so when you work that hard for a dollar, you want that dollar to spread as far as possible. So you see the two for one, you know, deals or the BOGOs and things like that. And so you feel like, okay, I got a great deal. But unfortunately, it becomes difficult to count up the unmeasured cost of the deposits that it's having in your body. You know, all of the things that we're ingesting, the chemicals, these are food-like products. These aren't even real food. There is zero nutritional uh, value to it. But, you know, this isn't new, right, Keith? You know, we know this, right? But we know it, but then we still consume it. And then the question is, why and how do we go about allowing ourselves to explore change in a way that takes into account access, that takes into account, you know, the desire to have tasty, delicious food, but that serves us, you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people may feel stuck with how to even go about that process in a way that doesn't make them feel, um, you know, bad for choices that we made in a, in a time that really served us at a particular point, but may just not anymore. Organic and unprocessed foods aren't cheap, right? Gym memberships are expensive, uh, and there is fast food at every corner. But, um, you know, I, I think this interview that we had with, with Shay really kind of showed me, uh, you know, there's people out there succeeding that are adding years on to their life, not only for themselves, but for their families, too, you know, who are really dedicated. Yeah, she's amazing, you know, because Shay uh, Holmes is a plant based personal chef and a lifestyle blogger who figured out how to take her favorite culinary dishes and those cuisines that were actually killing her and transformed them into delicious dishes that healed her body in a way that doctors said was not even possible. So I'm really excited to hear her story and see what we can learn from it. All right, let's play it for listeners. All right, let's do it. I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, ranch, corn, corn, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, rat. You Shalini. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How you doing? I'm great. I'm honored to be here. We're so happy to have you. Keith and I were just talking about the food we grew up on. Can you tell me a little mm. bit about what type of food you grew up on in your family? Absolutely. Um, so I am a, a multicultural person, um, mixed black and white and half Puerto Rican. Um, and Puerto Rican food is delicious, <laughs> but, um, you know, rice and beans, but there's a lot of fried stuff. There's a lot of, um, meat, pork, especially. Um, I was actually just talking with my mom yesterday of how, um, there's this, this type of, uh, dish called morcillas, which are blood sausages. And it's literally the blood from the pig that is, um, drained and like stuffed into the intestinal lining and created like make sausage at sausages out of it um so, sounds so really it, gross yes it does <laughs> was it was it good though absolutely not no I've never eaten that unfortunately but everyone else in my family around me did um and you know it's like they would eat the entire part of the pig so you know going to family parties especially during the holidays on Christmas and stuff um they would buy the entire pig um the cajachina and put it in this box and roast it and literally eat every single piece of it like the ears everything okay <laughs> interesting so you never tried that though no not the blood sausages but um my mom was sharing some memories of uh being in puerto rico with her grandmother and um learning how to make them and how <laughs> how disgusting it was 
Um, but you know, it just spoke to the the resourcefulness of of the people. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, you had to make do with what you had, and um, there's no such thing as waste. So. For sure, for sure. I felt about that kind of like I do about chitlins. You know, like we grew yeah. up with chitlins, but I just never, I never could make it happen. For nah, me. me neither. Skip that one. <laughs> Skip. Exactly. Oh, and the smell when they're getting prepared. Uh, Let's not go back there. There's not enough hot <laughs> sauce so in the nasty. world. <laughs> And, you know, that that is like, that's soul food, right? But that comes from, you know, slave owners giving the scraps of the food to the people on the plantation, the slaves. And, um, you know, they're making do with what they had. So, of course, they made it, you know, quote, taste good. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when you look at the long-term effects of these foods on our health, it's it's pretty evident that this is not what we should be eating. So what, what experiences did you have in college that gave you more insight into the standard American diet and, um, and how it's mm. impacting our communities? Mm, good question. So it's a, it's a pretty um, well-rounded experience. So it uh, first started very personally with me. Um, as a college student, I was broke, as most college students are. So I was living off of fast food and, you know, the meal plan that they had on campus mm-hmm. and ramen noodles. Um, really unhealthy diet. And so then I started having some serious health issues that were um, physical and uh, mental, honestly. And um, when I went to the doctors, various doctors, they, you know, gave me these kind of like chronic um, diagnoses where it was like, you know, you're going to have to take this pill for the rest of your life, or you're going to have to basically be in pain for the rest of your life, or you're not going to be able to have children. And I, I just rejected that. I, I didn't feel like they were truly coming at me from a place of love and really wanting to help me cure. They just wanted to make money off of me. Um, and as a student, I was a political science and a psychology major, and I did my master's in, in global affairs. So I was really, um, I had an opportunity to really study um, just the, the importance of social change and learning about the importance of social change and kind of how stuff like this is pretty systematic, um, especially as it relates to colonialism. So I took it upon myself to say, no, I'm, I'm rejecting these doctors' diagnosis of my issues. And I just did some Google searches, went online and found a community of people that had cured themselves from the, a variety of things that I was personally experiencing with my health. And the common thing that I found was that everyone cured themselves through their diet through changing, you know, the main things that they're consuming, replacing things um, and eliminating things, and then using herbs and other plant sources um, as remedies. And so that kind of jump-started my, um, my journey. I cut out fast food, cut out soda, and immediately, like within a week, I had noticed a huge difference in my mood, in my physical health, um, just all the way around, in my, my pockets, of course, because you do spend a lot of money on this, quote, cheap food. Um, and then I had just tried to recreate some of the recipes that my, my mom and my grandmother made in the kitchen, you know, every day we would cook three, she would cook three times a day. So trying to recreate some of that stuff with fresh ingredients. Um, like for example, in, uh, Puerto Rican households, the adobo seasoning is pretty standard. Um, mm. but there's some extra stuff in there that's full of chemicals that, you know, causes inflammation and can, um, disrupt our hormone levels that have short and long-term effects on our health. So learning how to recreate those seasonings with just the simple ingredients instead of all the extra, you know, anti-caking agents and all that stuff. Um, It was revolutionary for me. And I've always had a passion for cooking. So 
so I kind of just explored little by little. Um, I cut things out of my diet one at a time, and that um, I know we're probably going to talk about this later, but that is one of the most important pieces of advice I can give to anyone that's trying to eat healthier is just take it slow and listen to your body and um, find replacements as you go. That was awesome and, and very powerful. I think that the thing that stuck out to me the most is for you, your journey to better eating really was uh, a problem that had to be solved. You know, you were experiencing mm-hmm. the physical ailments and you also said the mental ailments. And then you go to doctors who are then going to pump you full of more chemicals that essentially do not cure you, but just treat you. <laughs> exactly. And now you're a lifelong patient that we eat. Exactly. And um, a lot of those issues all kind of boil down to one major cause, which is inflammation. And inflammation is our body's response to basically food that we shouldn't be eating or chemicals that we shouldn't be eating because we can ingest chemicals in other ways besides just food and drink, of course. So finding ways, uh, finding the, the actual things that are causing inflammation and removing that is the one way to obviously decrease inflammation. And then supplementing with anti-inflammatory foods and herbs um, and other plants is the second half of that. So my mom actually had GERD and IBS. And uh, she was taking nine pills a day. And by switching over to a vegan diet or plant-based diet, let me say, um, she is not taking anything now. And she's doing much better. And she's, you know, not the lifelong patient like you were talking about. I'm really curious for you. Did you kind of start, stop, start, stop till you found your rhythm? Or did you like make a choice and was just consistent the entire time? Tell me what helped, what made it work? Sure. Um, So for me, it was just going step by step, taking it slow. You mentioned uh, the education. I think that was really important for me too. Like once I had finally seen how the meat got to my plate, um, not just like the animals and you know the torture that they're experiencing in these horrible slaughterhouses um, and the chemicals and the, the horrible food that they're eating. I mean, it's just, it's disgusting. But then also the processing that it goes through in order to get to my plate, especially if you're eating it from like a fast food place. Um, I just decided that I didn't want that in my body anymore. And it was a spiritual thing for me as well. So, you know, understanding the, the education behind it um, and then connecting with how it made me feel. So once I did the detox, which I recommend that as the first step for anyone trying to, you know, make healthier choices um, and detox can look differently for everybody. Um, but once you detox and then you, let's say, start introducing things back into your diet that you have craving for or you feel you can handle, you notice how your body feels. So it's really about paying attention to how you feel and what actually you're eating. Um, So asking questions, you know, where did this food come from? How far did it travel? How much processing did it go through? What was this animal's life like before um, it got to my plate? Um, So I feel like when I, well, just to give you an understanding, if I do accidentally eat any kind of dairy products, um, mostly dairy, not so much meat, but definitely meat as well. Uh, but the dairy will have an immediate effect on my body. <laughs> like I will feel like I am food poisoned. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's, that's enough of a deterrent for me to stay away from that stuff. Um, and again, you know, I, I kind of hit this, this brick wall where I was like, all right, something has to change. And I never want to go back to that. Um, and you know, most people, especially in communities of color are, lactose intolerant and we don't even know it so once you do remove some of these things from your diet especially things like dairy um, and you do accidentally reintroduce them you will feel it and that that can kind of help be like your like your um, 
your bumpers, like when you're bowling and it's like, nope, don't go that way. Don't go that way. Like it helps keep you on track. This is really good. I mean, um, ice cream is, uh, we're celebrating my dad's <laughs> birthday yesterday and there was ice cream on the table. And I was like, all right, let me get like a quarter of a scoop because I just want to taste it. But I know if I ate any more than that, I was just going to, exactly. <laughs> that stuff was real tight, real fast. So I, I definitely uh, have gotten to know myself a little bit more, my body, and been really listening uh, and feeling what's going on in there. Um, but it is still hard sometimes mm-hmm. to say no to certain things. So tell me from your perspective, what's the spiritual and mental implications of your diet? Because we do have these foods that are A, tied to nostalgia, they're also comforting, um, but they're also terrible for us. So it, mm-hmm. what's going on in our minds uh, that you think are impacted by our diet um, and how moving forward with a cleaner plant-based diet uh, could help us out? Well, um, first, I kind of want to go back to what you were saying about the ice cream. I think as people move forward into a healthier lifestyle and try to find that consistency, it's really, really important to find replacements because we are addicted to foods, um, especially dairy. Dairy itself has very addictive properties, like the same areas of your brain light up um, when you're eating dairy that uh, light up in an opioid addict's brain. So we have to really find ways to you know, kind of trick ourselves. And there are really, I can name drop some brands for you guys later if you want, but there are some really um, soy-free and good quality ingredient plant-based brands that make delicious ice cream, delicious cheese, mayonnaise, um, milk. Milk is my favorite thing, what they call, quote, alternative milks um, that you can cook with and you can, you know, use in your coffee. I mean, everywhere, every little area that we find that there's meat or dairy or something that's not quite good for us, but we are used to it um, because of our cultural backgrounds and traditions um, or just because we're addicted to it. Um, it's important to give yourself that grace and, you know, be, be patient with yourself and be present. Um, so with the spiritual aspect, um, specifically with eating meat, I just, so if we, if we look back at ancestors, um, our ancestors and the ancestors all around the world and all of the different indigenous cultures, um, they, the relationship that they have with their food and their meat was way different. Um, and in different areas of the world, the diets were different. The lifestyles were very different, but it was all about a symbiotic relationship with the land, um, expressing gratitude, praying, singing, blessing their food, working very hard to get it. They couldn't go to a grocery store and just get this processed meat. Um, and then also the types of animals that they were eating. So, you know, the chickens, pigs, and cows are all hybrid animals. They're not like really found in nature. <laughs> they're, they're combined with multiple different kinds of animals. Um, and so I just decided that I didn't want to like kind of acquire that karmic energy. Like when you're eating an animal that's been tortured its entire life and then brutally murdered, um, I just felt like that wasn't sitting right with my spirit. So even though my particular ancestors likely came from a tropical climate where there was, um, where they probably ate lots of seafood, um, they also ate lots of very colorful fruits and veggies that were, you know, bountiful all around them. Um, and so that's kind of how I choose to, to follow, you know, my, my traditions, my, my um, uh, heritage and my culture. Certainly I choose not to eat fish today, even though I miss it very much because I understand, you know, how, what it takes for that fish to actually get to my plate. And um, it, it also goes back to the land, which is what colonialism was all about. It was about taking land and destroying the land. And so now that the land and the water are polluted, 
the the animals that come from that are also polluted. I mean, if you look at the the, general sample of fish, you'll find plastics and opiates and birth control even in this fish's bloodstream. And, you know, when we eat that, that's that's not what our ancestors were eating and that's not what they would want us to eat. So you hit something there um, when you mentioned the uh, colonialization. Can you talk to me, can you talk to us more about the concept of decolonization decolonizing your diet. <laughs> hey, listen, the colon probably would be very grateful if we decolonize. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, sure. So this is a this is a really big topic and this is um, you know, definitely not a new idea. There's tons and tons of research on this and lots of indigenous movements um, around the world and especially here in America that are talking about the way that colonization has specifically um, affected their lifestyle and through their diet. So um, again, indigenous people all around the world lived off of the land. And, um, you know, when people came in and started grabbing the land and cutting down oak trees that took 30 years to grow and be fully mature to produce enough acorns to sustain the, the uh, group of people, um, you know, that's not something that you can just replant and wait for it to grow again. So you're changing the, by grabbing that land, they're changing the entire way that that, the identity of those people, the culture and the way that they live. Um, and so today with like neo-colonialism, um, I feel like decolonizing our diet looks a lot like um, kind of revolutionary eating. It almost feels like an agenda that, you know, fast food and save-a-lots are the only um, food sources that South St. Pete, my community that I grew up in and still live in, can access. You know, I have to drive all the way across town to get to Trader Joe's and Roland Oats, which I love both of those places. But, you know, something like that should be here in our community, access to real food. Otherwise, yeah, we are going to go and eat McDonald's and Taco Bell every day, and we're going to go buy processed food at Save a Lot because, first of all, it's what we can afford, and that's what's nearby. That's what's in our community. So decolonizing your diet um, looks like kind of resisting against that. It's important for us to know the truth and to learn and to not uh, turn a, um, a blind eye against what we're putting into our bodies. So um, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about resources that we can use, number one, to educate ourselves on what we're eating. And then also, number two, you mentioned that there's some um, brands you can name drop. You know, you really made some great points about the addictive nature of some of these foods that we're eating. So how do we replace those things after we've educated ourselves? Mm-hmm. So to educate yourself, um, I mean, there's lots of information out there. Um, first, you can follow me on Instagram, Shave Cafe. <laughs> and then I, I highly recommend um, going on Netflix, watching uh, What the Health uh What's another? Oh, the newest one is called Game Changers. So this one kind of combats that typical argument against being plant-based, which is that you're not getting enough protein or not getting enough nutrition. Um, and that's a whole nother like 45 minute talk about essential amino acids and how that is an absolute myth. But this documentary Game Changers is a bunch of um, athletes and uh, bodybuilders that are, have switched to a plant-based diet and actually have had increased efficiency in their, in their work. So I highly recommend going through the educational part and if you need to watch these animals getting tortured you know those horrible videos um of the horrible stuff that goes on behind the scenes do it um once was enough for me I don't I don't like seeing that but it was it was important for me to understand like this isn't just a beautiful little you know chicken wing that looks delicious and smells good this actually came from you know where it came from um and so 
I think people are um, scared because we've we've been conditioned um, for what food looks like. Even hate to shout them out, but even the USDA and um, the, the uh, FDA, you know, puts out these nutritional guidelines that. I just don't agree with, and I don't think are meant especially for communities of color. Um, and so I think we can start by just making those replacements like we had talked about earlier. Um, I love, in terms of milk, I love hemp milk, has a lot of omegas, which normally we get from fish. So that's a nice way to supplement, um, and it tastes yummy. Um, oat milk in my coffee. Um, I personally don't do soy and almond milk a lot because it's really hard to find um, good sources of them, especially the almond milk. You have to be careful when you're looking at alternative brands that, um, like for milk, for example, it'll be like called milk beverage. Um, and that's not really the same thing as actually just the nuts or the, the essence of the milk plus water, like cashew milk is just cashews and water pretty much. Um, and so those are, there's really good alternatives, but always read the ingredient labels. And um, my general rule of thumb is if you can't pronounce it um or if you google it and you still don't know what it means then you don't need it in your body so i've seen game changers right you recommended that i watch that um so glad that i did it's just super powerful documentary um for somebody who's in the gym somebody who's active i did have those questions for myself how do i get all of what i need from a plant-based diet because the assumption is true it's that you know basically gonna be a little twig if you're eating plants and that's definitely not the case with some <laughs> athletes, uh, including Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's featured in a documentary, um, talks about in, in their diets. So the big question I think everybody's going to want to know, and, and we're talking to parents here, you know, we're parents. Mm-hmm. What kind of planning and food prep techniques do you recommend to parents who are working full time uh, or run their own businesses and um, simply familiar to familiarize themselves with new foods? extend their palate for themselves and their kids you know if you're if it's taco tuesday and your kid's like where's tacos and you're like here's this plant you know like (laughs) how do we we manage our lives because i'm sure people are going to hear this and they're going to be like all right i want to do it but then it's tuesday evening Mm -hmm. and you know there's something really easy right there how do we maintain that and how do we prep Mm -hmm. prepare yeah, definitely. Um, so I think it's just about finding the alternatives again. Um, first, I think kids want to copy their parents, especially if they're older siblings or like a cool aunt. If they see the older people doing it and, you know, eating these alternatives or what people call alternative, it's really not alternative, but eating healthier options, then they're going to do it. And also with Taco Tuesday, I mean, that's one of the easiest things that you can make that's completely plant-based that I would argue tastes better than, you know, your typical um, ground beef or ground turkey taco. So I love jackfruit. Um, Jackfruit is a really good meat alternative that is not, you know, some processed stuff. Um, But it's really all about the flavors. And that kind of goes back to culture too, right? So Taco Tuesday is typical in Central America, not Taco Tuesday is typical, but tacos are coming from, with air quotes, Central America. Um, And so kind of harvesting those flavors um, with seasonings, I mean, cumin, oregano, um, coarse salt and pepper, some cayenne, some chili powder, um, seasoning your vegetables with the same 
uh, seasonings that you're going to season the meat with will make them taste the same. So if you taste unseasoned meat, you probably won't like it. So it's the same idea of, of just replacing the meat with the veggies. You just stir fry some peppers and onions, some garlic. Um, the jackfruit is a, the good texture to give you that kind of meaty texture. And then to replace the cheese, I love to use cashew-based cheese, which you can actually buy at Trader Joe's. They have a pretty good one that's really just simple ingredients, the flavors are the same and it melts on top just like regular queso it's delicious and um you know cilantro some sour cream you can also make sour cream very easily with um cashew yogurt i like to use the forager project brand and you just add some lemon salt pepper and some chopped up cilantro and you know you can make that in the last in the fridge for a little over a week um and so when i when i meal prep um i cook big dishes of, of everything because I'm feeding my family and more. Um, so rice and beans, lentils, I mean, simple recipes that can last you for a little while. And then, um, I mean, when, when my son sees me eating it, he, it's, it's good. And I've, I've also, just the other day, actually, he was um, having some dinner with some of his friends. Some of my, um, some of my friends have sons all the same age. And so we all had dinner together and my son was arguing with the other kids, telling them, um, my mom said, if you don't eat your, your greens, you're not going to have superpowers. And so he literally got the other kids to eat their greens by convincing them that it was giving him superpowers, which it is giving him superpowers. Um, but it's, it's amazing, like the, the ways that I can set the example and then he can continue setting the example for his peers. So That's it's awesome. really, it's really, I mean, like most other parenting things up to us, you know, we can't leave it up to uh, anybody else to get our kids um, prepared for a healthy lifestyle and to embrace it and share it with others. Uh-huh. So, I mean, a, uh-huh. you know, I think that's a huge takeaway that we need to take ownership over our bodies, but also remembering that we're setting an example for for those who are looking up to us as well. Beautiful. Can you share how we can find you and how we can follow some of the recipes that you've just laid out for us? Sure. So on Instagram, it's Shays, S-H-A-E-S dot cafe. Um, and the same on Facebook. Um, there's a link in there to my website and my phone number if you want to give me a call or send me a text. Um, I love helping people just find ways to eat more plants. I think that's what it's all about. I am not here to say that veganism is for everybody. Um, and, you know, even back on the topic of decolonizing your diet, a lot of indigenous people um, had, you know, up to 90% of their diet was meat. Um, it's just about kind of looking at the way that it's affecting us and our communities today and um, finding alternatives and finding ways to still hold our culture close to our hearts um, while being healthier and and increasing longevity and kind of fighting back against this agenda that um, kind of wants to keep us sick because it's it's a very costly um, business, the the medical industrial complex. (laughs) You know, it's important to, as people are trying to transition to a healthier lifestyle, of course, go slow and take it one step at a time, you know, find those replacements, Um, be mindful and eat consciously, but don't look at it like a diet, look at it like a lifestyle. So as parents, as leaders and entrepreneurs, as people of color, we have to, we have to. Hey, Griots. We want to thank you so much for sharing space with us. If you enjoyed this podcast or heard something you liked, pay it forward and pass it along to someone else. We're making more episodes that celebrate our stories, so support us. Go to your preferred podcast app, rate us, and subscribe. 
You can also follow us on IG at The Grios Podcast or visit the website at thegrios.co to get resources from the show notes or even submit a comment or question on the episode. Until next time, be inspired and be on purpose. And remember to live in the now because nothing lasts forever.